you to open up your Bibles to, to the minor prophet Habakkuk. It's kind of cool, as we're going through the Bible, you'll notice we're getting further and further into, uh, through the scriptures, aren't we? This is exciting, and, and you may, um, yeah, that's right, it's another prophetic book. You're like, really? More prophets? And you might be asking, do we need this? Do we really need another prophetic book? Do we really need to hear again how God is upset with sin and evil? And do we really need to hear again how he's going to extend his grace and his mercy to us? Do we really need to hear this? Do we really need to hear God warning people? I mean, haven't we been warned enough? There's so, so, so many prophetic books. Why, Pastor Jed? Why? Well, good news. We've already done 12. That's like four months of prophets. And, and you may be sitting there going, okay, where are we at then? Where are we at in this process of, of looking at this, these prophets? Sorry, you can take that call. You're probably going, oh, it's just another prophet book. I'll, I'll take the call. It's okay. I mean, we've been looking at these. We've looked at the major prophets. We've looked at minor prophets, right? And it seems like the message is almost the same every time, doesn't it? And, and you may be sitting there going, is it really pertinent for us to spend so much time in these books that are warning nations of things that happened long ago? Do we really need to spend some time? And, and some of you may even be sitting there going, I'm really confused as to even where we're at in all of this. I mean, it seems every Sunday it's a new prophet, new prophet. When will we get out of the prophets? Well, good news, there's 17 of them. Okay, that's, that's a lot of prophets. You might have some questions. And honestly, I was, it's hard sometimes. To come and, and look at a message and go, oh, i got to preach that again. God's upset again. How many of you have realized that God doesn't like sin? <laughs> Good. All right, you're listening. That's great. Well, <laughs> picture, okay, I needed a picture. I don't know about you, but I needed a picture. I want us to picture a timeline here, okay? And, and so I drew this up. I actually didn't. Well, I did draw it, and then I put it into something you could read. But we're going through 17 prophetic books. I'll tell you, when I initially looked at it, I'm like, that's 17 weeks of prophets. That's long. And, and so I wanted to kind of get an idea of where we were at, where we were going. And I, and I realized some things. We have Samuel here, who was the very first prophet. 
And he kicked off this line of prophets, and we, we had Elijah and Elisha, but they, didn't really, they weren't writing prophets, they were amazing prophets, but we didn't look at their writings or anything. But then we had Obadiah, but he, was to, he wasn't even to Judah or Israel. He was over there to Edom, a, a Gentile nation. And then we have Israel up here, the northern kingdom, and we have Amos and Hosea writing those uh, books, those letters, not letters, books, um, to, to Israel there. And then Judah, we have different prophets going on here. We, we see that God has a heart for the Gentile nations. You, you can't read the Old Testament and not see that. But I want you to notice that as we're looking at this timeline, Samuel's over here at 1050 B.C., and by the time we get all the way down to, I like to call him Malachi, the uh, Italian prophet. Um, that's Malachi, by the way. Okay. I know how to pronounce it. All right. But it's 425. Do you realize that's a span of 600 years? Think about where we are today and go back 600 years. How many of you remember an author that wrote, we won't go 600 years back, we'll only go 400 years? You're like, oh yeah, I remember what he wrote. Let's go back 200, 300 years. Do you remember any authors writing there? Any good speakers? All right, we'll go back 20 years. How many of you remember a sermon, all the sermons from 20 years ago? How many of you could recall the sermons from this year? That's discouraging. Okay. You starting to realize? Do you see what God is doing here? Different generations, different times. The ebb and flow of, of following God, not following God, following God, not following God. He is reaching generations here. You know what else I see? Patience. I see a very patient God. I also want us to consider the five prophetic books we have left. Look at this. There we go. We have five left. Today we're going to look at one of them. And it's, it's interesting. We have three of them here that occur after the people come out of exile in Babylon. It's really interesting that, that God even communicated to the people while they're in exile. But these two books here, we're looking at just before they go into exile. The hearts of the people are, are deprived. God is, is speaking to his people. And you may, it's interesting, when you put things on a timeline, you notice things that you don't when you're just reading through. In your Bibles, Habakkuk comes before Zephaniah. 
But on the timeline, Zephaniah came before Habakkuk. You're like, well, why does that happen? The answer, you ready for this theological answer? I don't know. I looked. I couldn't figure it out, and I figured other theologians had the same answer. I don't know. But what's interesting is as we come to Habakkuk, this book is a little different. When we come to Habakkuk, God is not really addressing the people directly. We see that there is a conversation that's going on between God's prophet, who most likely Habakkuk was a, a priest in, in the temple. And, and as a priest, he was also a, a prophet, one that was delivering God's message, but the people weren't listening. And there's even speculation that Habakkuk had something to do with the, the, the musical worship of God, as you see in the very end of this book. But what's interesting is as we look at Habakkuk, rather than a message to the people, we see a conversation. And as we do, we see the heart of God's prophet and the heart of God beautifully expressed in this conversation. And I want us to look briefly today at, at this book. When, when you think about a conversation, it's dialogue. And, and I, I wish I, I could have dialogue with the Lord. A, a verbal dialogue. What's amazing is God does allow us to talk to Him. And He's given us the Scriptures. He, he speaks to us. He teaches us. God's Word says that His Word is enough to equip you and I. But, but we come here, and Habakkuk is asking questions of God, and God's going to answer. How many of you have ever had a question of God? If you haven't, you have not thought much. We, we come to God, we look around us in this life that you and I are living, and we have questions, don't we? How many of you, in just the watching the news over the last few weeks, have questions? God, why? What? Are you? Will you? And the questions are there. And I want to clarify something. Habakkuk does not come to God and question God. There is a difference. To come to God and ask questions of God is acceptable. God welcomes that. But be very careful and understand your position, my position, when we question God. 
And we stand in our arrogance and say, God, you're doing it wrong. That's questioning God. Saying, I have a better idea. I have a better way. Habakkuk comes and he's, he's asking questions of God. God, I want to understand. I need to know. And we see beautifully that in Habakkuk, faith is demonstrated as this conversation goes on between Habakkuk and God. And I love that God listens. That's encouraging to me. That God is listening to his servant and answering the questions. Let's look at these questions real quick. The first question that, that Habakkuk poses to God is basically, God, why? Why is the sin of the people going unpunished? It seems like you're doing nothing about this. Well, if you looked at that timeline... What we would call patience, or, well, no, God calls patience. We consider sometimes inactivity. We want God to do something now, unless it's with us. Then we ask for more time. Listen to, to how Habakkuk brings this before the Lord. I, I'm using the New Living Translation today. I, I really liked how some of the, the, the wording came from this. But in verse 2, he says, How long? Some of you have probably asked this too. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? Some of you are calling out for help. But you... You do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. So that justice has become perverted. How many of you this morning can resonate with Habakkuk's question to God? Oh, I sure can. He, he has a concern. Did you notice that? Habakkuk looks around and he sees the sin running rampant. He looks and he, it seems to just grow day in and day out. 
He goes, God, God, have you ceased to deal with evil? And we come and we look at our own nation and we could ask the same question. Habakkuk is probably remembering, God, all these other prophets. There was quite a few that came. God, you've addressed it with other nations. You've addressed it with Israel. You've addressed it with Judah. God, you, you've said that you're going to punish evil. But it's still running rampant. God, why? Why? I, I, I appreciate when I read this that Habakkuk is expressing his heart to God. He's like, God, I see these things. I, I watch them, and don't they hurt your heart? You said that it does. You know, when we ask why, be careful. God may answer. God does answer. And essentially, God says, Judah will be punished. Notice in, in verse 5, God responds to his question. He says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. Interesting. Some of the prophets had already prophesied of what God was going to do. Yet it's, it's hard to grasp that God would do some of the things he says he's going to do. So, but if, he goes, I am raising up the Babylonians. A cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. That's probably not the answer that Habakkuk was, was looking for. The Babylonians, a violent, brutal people. You're like, okay, we know history. We know they come in, they wipe out. Seventy years later, they go back. Let me put it in perspective. Imagine this with me. Your pastor. Crying out to God this next week. God, Why? God, I am looking around at the horrors of our nation, America. I, I see the evils and the sins. I see that justice is warped. I see that we go and we sacrifice babies. It seems our nation does every pleasure in their heart. 
following after evil deeds. Their desires are, are feeding them. God, why don't you do something? Imagine your pastor praying that. Hopefully it's not too hard for you to imagine that. And God says, not to worry, Jack. For I have raised up North Korea. They will come in. They will wipe you out. They will be ruthless. Destroying everything in their path. I will raise up North Korea to discipline your nation, your people, and their evil ways. How does that set with you? Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Really, North Korea? I mean, Jed, I know we're bad. But why would God use them? I mean, have you seen what they do to people? Their own people. Have you seen the evil of their ways? North Korea? Really? Why not another nation? A nicer nation. One that's kind of like us, maybe. But those folks, they're worse. They're worse than us. How many of you could relate with that response? Uh, well, wow, more hands than I thought. You know North Korea, don't you? So Habakkuk poses the second question. <laughs> God, why would you use such pagans to discipline your people? Look, here's the response. Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Oh Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? That is a really interesting statement, isn't it? You're going to use the Babylonians? Really? Don't you love the comparison game? It's interesting that, that he comes to God and he says, God, I understand we have sinned. You need to judge that. But 
they're worse. We, we think of ourselves as better sinners. Does that make sense? God, we're better sinners than they are. I know when you say it out loud, it's like, wow, that sounds silly. Um, God, you're holy, but we're better sinners than them. Really? And we get into this comparison game and we justify ourselves because our actions, our sin, is better than their sin. God, we sin 10 times, they sin 20. And God's up there going, uh-huh. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I am just. I am God. And really, when we look at this, it's nothing short of a works-based salvation, is it not? We think that we can do enough good works that we're going to outweigh our bad works. And if nothing else, we can at least be doing more good works than that person over there. So somehow we justify in our mind that, well, I'm okay. And Habakkuk falls into this. And God answers. He's like, we're not going to do this comparison game. I, I love verse 17. Habakkuk is concluding his, his plea to God. And he says, will you let them get away with this forever? God, I'm looking at them. I'm looking at these people. Will you let them get away? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquest? Acknowledging, okay, God, you're going to use them, but will they get away with it? God answers, yes, I'm going to use them, and no, they're not going to get away with it. God deals with sin. God deals with, with evil. We should know this by now. We've been in 12 prophetic books. Number 13 today. Look at God's response in verse 4. I, I love his response. Look at the proud. And we turn to North Korea. We turn to the Babylonians. Look at the proud, God says. Or maybe we should look in the mirror. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. And their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Other translations say the righteous will live by faith. When we look at the proud, they're elevating themselves. When I was in Africa, they had no word for pride. So the only way they could express it is, well, you make God really small and you really big. How's that for pride? And God says, no. Look in the mirror. The only way you can do this is by my grace. 
I love that when we come to the New Testament in Romans 1.17, we see this. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from the start to finish by faith. The scriptures say, and it's quoting Habakkuk, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Look at Again, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God. That's kind of all-inclusive, isn't it? No one. By trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The writer of Hebrews would write, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will make I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Faith. It's not about what we do. Habakkuk was looking at the sins and evil of the people. He says, God, do something. And then God says, I'm sending the Babylonians. And he goes, not that. They're really bad. They're sinners. And all of a sudden, he forgot to look in the mirror. And God says, no, it's only by faith. And then God goes on in the rest of chapter 2 to list five woes. These things that, that God is displeased with. And you know what? It's interesting. As you read it, you realize these are the woes of Babylon. But it would also be the woes of Judah. And really, as we look at it, it would be of later generations in every nation to follow, including you and I and our homes. Look at these woes. God is against greed and aggression. Whew. That doesn't come into our homes, does it? Whew. God is against those who are oppressors that oppress other people. Thank goodness we don't struggle with that. God is against those who are violent. Maybe be like, I've never hit a soul. Well, Jesus comes on the scene and says, look at your heart. God is against immorality. And we invite it in all the time on our screens. In our conversations, our speech. God is against idolatry. And in our homes, how many times have we placed something above the importance of God Almighty? Woe, woe, woe. I love that after each woe, God declares a characteristic about Himself, who He is, His holiness. His character. And after the final woe, God says this in verse 20 of chapter 2. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. A proud, arrogant people stand before a holy God. And they're silent. There is no work that can be done. There is no righteousness within 
that can be expressed. They stand silent before a holy, righteous God. And only those who place their faith in Him can stand. The conversation is done after chapter 2. It's interesting in this book, Habakkuk says very little. God gives some great answers. And Habakkuk's response to this in chapter 3 is, is absolutely amazing. As he looks at what God has, has said, Habakkuk just burst forth in prayer. I can almost imagine Habakkuk realizing himself in the mirror, taking his eyes off of Babylon, taking his eyes off of Judah, looking at his own heart, falling to his knees, and praising God. It's a prayer of, of almost song. We see in verse 19 that, that Habakkuk, after he, after he says this prayer, after he recites this psalm, he says, Put it to music. We're going to sing of this over and over. We are going to declare, blessed be your name. Put it to string instruments. In this psalm, as he expresses it, he declares that God is a God who crushes. God is a God who saves. Can you declare that about your God? When you look at His holiness, does He crush sin and evil in your heart and mine? When we look at a holy God, is He the one that saves us and elevates us to a point that we can sing praise? Look at the way that He, he ends this. Remember, God said, I'm bringing the Babylonians. North Korea is coming in and wiping you out. Sorry, trying to keep it in context for you here. Look at verse 16. I tremble inside, he says, when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. Aren't you glad that we can be honest before God? God, you answered, and this was my response. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike and the people who invade us. Verse 17, sorry, 18. Yet I, I will rejoice in the Lord. Wow. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer. Able to tread upon the heights. 
And he says, put this to music. Habakkuk in chapter 3, in a beautiful way, praises in, in his prayer to God, the person of God. When we go to God in prayer and song, do we praise the person of God? Do we come and declare the power of God and hold on to even the plan of God? You're like, whoa. I I can hold on to the person. I I can really grasp on to that power, but the plan... Do you have confidence in your God? You and I need to come to a place where we trust God's wisdom. We trust God's wisdom even when we don't understand His ways. I come to the Scriptures and I see an all-knowing God an all-powerful God, a good God. And I stand before you a theologian, a pastor, a brother in Christ, a husband, a father. I look around and I see the hurt, the pain and the suffering even amongst the people of God. And I say, no, I don't understand His plan. But I trust it. Because I trust Him. You know why? Because I have relationship. I have a relationship with Him. I know His character. I know His holiness. I asked when we started, do we need this? Do we need another prophetic book? Do we need this? And the answer is an emphatic yes. You and I need this. We need to know. You and I need to know that we can go to our God. Just as Habakkuk did. You and I need to know that we can ask questions. Our God is capable of handling our questions. And even our lack of understanding. Our God gives us the answers that we need to know. And our God, yes, we need to see that God does deal with sin. He deals with evil. And He deals with the proud. And we need to remember. We need to remember to rejoice in our Lord. We need to remember it is He who gives strength. We need to remember that it is He who will plant our feet, not ourselves. And it is He who gives salvation. And that salvation comes through faith. We come to this message of Habakkuk. And I could think of no better way to to end with the remembrance of what our Savior did, a time of communion.
If you didn't grab one as you came in, please raise your hand and, and the ushers will, will get one for you. Keep it up as, as they, they get that for you. But do you realize that as we come to communion, communion simply means common union. And as we come together today, our common union is in Christ Jesus himself. In the finished work of what he did at the cross, our faith, our faith is that common union. I, I, I appreciate that as we come to the Lord's table, you're like, well, this isn't much of a meal. That's all right. That's coming later. And that will be a common union where the body of Christ, the family of God, comes together unified in our faith in Jesus Christ, the relationship that He paid for. And we'll come and, and we'll break bread. I know because we brought rolls today, so we will break some bread. We'll enjoy soup. We'll enjoy fellowship and, and conversation. And that right there will be more of a, of a table coming to the Lord's table than even what we do here. But what we are doing here is remembering what He did. And He gave us the, the bread and, and that night that He would be betrayed, He would break it in front of them. A common practice that was done with bread every single day. And he says, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. What a beautiful picture. That this God, this righteous, holy God, who deals with sin, would deal with it once for all by sending His Son in the flesh. Why? To be broken and beaten for your sin and mine. And as he broke that bread, he asked a blessing on it. Let's go to the Lord, shall we? God, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much. That you would deal with sin. And you would deal with it directly by sending your Son in the flesh for us. God, as we remember today the sacrifice of your Son, His body broken and beaten for us, the price He paid in His flesh, God, we thank you. We remember and we praise you. God, we ask a blessing on this bread. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we partake together? There was a cost for your sin and mine. And when we come to the cup, we remember that the cost to cover your sin 
was the blood of the holy righteous lamb of God who would sacrifice himself for your sin for my sin what a gift he gave what a hatred for evil that he would deal with it by sending his son whom he loved to shed his blood for you and me the cost so so deep he would tell them this blood or this cup is a covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's ask a blessing on the cup Heavenly Father we come today to remember that there is a cost and God you paid it you paid it with your blood and we praise you and thank you we ask a blessing on this cup now in Jesus name Amen shall we partake together You know, when we come to Habakkuk, we see that we can rejoice in the God of our salvation. And when we partake in communion, we look ahead to when our Savior once again will return for us. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.